Let's, uh, let's join together. Let me read Matthew 28 for us. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave it a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble." So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for your grace in giving us your son, Jesus, in loving us and rescuing us from our sin by the powerful resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And Jesus, we thank you that you came and and gave yourself as a sacrifice on our behalf. You laid down your life on our sins and that you were raised on the third day, what we celebrate today for us and for our salvation. And Spirit of God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for inspiring this scripture, giving it to us so that we might hear and we might believe and see that Jesus is the Christ. So triune God, this morning we worship you and we give you thanks and we ask that you would reveal to us more of your grace. Spirit of God, take these, these bones that are before us this morning, breathe life to them. Might we be ready to hear, ready to walk with you, ready to glorify Jesus in all things. Help us now, we pray. We are listening and we give you thanks. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Be seated. Have you ever been looking for something only to realize later that you were looking in all the wrong places for it? 
I don't know about you, but maybe you have trouble keeping track of where your keys are at or, or where your phone might be, and, and when that moment happens where they're lost or kind of not where you, where you want them to be, you, you scramble around and you try and find them, and you inevitably find them in the place you last, last left them, but you go and look at all the other places first because you were sure that they were there, and it just gets really frustrating and maybe a little humorous to you when you actually do find them. Over the pandemic, our family watched the, the show The Amazing Race. It was some sort of like just trivial entertainment for us while we were trying to figure out how to be in lockdown together and, and with that. And, and we found it to be a really interesting twist because we saw these, these individuals and these couples go all over the world and it gave us a little bit of just uh, that that uh, scratch where we might have a travel itch just to see far places. And so these people are going all over the world and experiencing some incredible things. But it seems that every point in the, in the game Amazing Race, people had to stop and solve a puzzle. They had to define some things and put together some sort of uh, out-of-cultural experience that they weren't used to. And, and we, as the viewers in on that show, were able to see the, the producers identified for us where the, the hidden objects were or where the missing things were. And so it was always a little bit funny, a little bit frustrating, and a little bit tension-filling when we, when we could see, like, no, you, you've got to look under that basket. The, the puzzle pieces are right there. And we would watch the, the individuals run past it for hours on end missing it at every time, all because they were so convinced that what they were looking for was somewhere else. They were just looking in all the wrong places. Could this be your case today? Could this be your case this morning? Perhaps you're here looking for spiritual insight, some enlightenment maybe, uh, perhaps a little divine energy or some illumination. Maybe you're looking all over the world for that sort of thing, but you keep failing to find it. The hope that you would have to really, to really be enlightened, to really rise above, to experience the divine or the transcendent, you've missed in some way or another. Let me ask you the question, could you be looking for God in all the wrong places? The 6th century pastor and theologian, Augustine, he wrote and he said, Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you, God. And maybe I wonder this morning if your heart is just a little bit restless. You've been trying to find something that will give you peace and settle things for you, something that, that will fit the, the God-shaped hole in your heart, and you keep looking and looking, but you perhaps keep passing by the clues to help you find him. Well, if your heart is restless this morning, I want to help you find that source of peace. I want to help lead you to the one who can lead you and guide you and give you life. I want to be the person who can, not just as a casual observer, but one who's involved with you this morning, point out the clues and help you find the rest that your soul is looking for. To do that, I want to take us to that third day after the crucifixion of Jesus. I've already read for us Matthew's account in the gospel this morning. And in this account, we, we find people that are trying to find God. They're, they're looking for him in all sorts of different places. They're trying to make sense of the experience of the divine and trying to piece together what their world has just experienced the places that they go to to try and find the divine or divine enlightenment or experience or maybe some spiritual energy 
is, is the places that we, the same places that we attempt to go to today in order to find God. The Bible story places us on this third day from Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus was betrayed by his disciples. He was unjustly sentenced to death by the Jewish leadership. He was uh, given over to Rome who washed their hands of him and yet executed him in the most horrific way by a crucifixion. And on that Friday, his his body was brought down from the cross, hastily cleaned and taken away to a rich man's tomb who gave it to Jesus. And his body was put into the tomb, stone sealed over it, and a guard set before it so that no one would disturb his body. And three days later, people were trying to figure out what to make of what happened. They were looking for God, and, and perhaps they were looking for God in all the wrong places. Let's go to Matthew's gospel and see these places that even you and I today can go to where we might be looking for God, but might be looking in the wrong place. The, the first place that Matthew takes us to in his story here is, is to the tomb itself. He says in verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And Matthew tells us that it was very early in the morning. Dawn, the sun was just rising and coming up. And, and these two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, which was not Jesus' mother Mary, but another faithful woman, disciple, who was following Jesus, they're trying to make sense of what has happened in the crucifixion. The person that they thought was the Messiah, the Savior, the one who would rescue them, he's dead. He's lying in that tomb. And so they they go to the tomb, and they go to the tomb to anoint his body. Luke and Mark relate that they went there to, to put fragrant spices and ointments on his body. It was an act of a devotion and service. They're prepared to go to a tomb, to go to this, this place of the dead, in order to venerate and put one more act of devotion and worship before and on this dead man. But they're still in the tombs. Not much has changed for us today either. We still go to the tombs to find God. We're still looking for him in the places of the dead. We, we, we go and we look in the tombs for an experience of God that elevates our lives. And I, I can see it on your faces this morning. You might be going, wait a second. I haven't gone to a cemetery lately to try and experience God. I haven't gone to any sort of mausoleum to, to find him. Like, what, what are you saying that we go to tombs today as well? We still go to the tombs to try and find God and experience Him, but we don't recognize them for the tombs that they are. There's a couple modern tombs. They're, they're the same tombs that, that have been around all the, t- all the while, but they're modernly dressed up, and yet they're still tombs for us that we go and we try and find God in as well. One tomb is the tomb of dead and false religions. This is the place where we think that, that by being in a religious setting, being in an atmosphere or observing and are participating in religious rituals, that's where we will experience and find God. And this is a universal experience. There's tombs all over the world. You can go to the great cathedrals of the world, places like St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, for instance. Or you can go to the shrines and the temples 
in Japan and China and Asia, places where the dead are worshipped, places where life is not found. These religious settings are a mausoleum for the dead and a place where the worship of the dead occurs. There's dry, lifeless, rote, and monotonous actions like prayer beads and Hail Marys. Or they're used to find God in a dead religion. People go and they venerate saints and they worship dead popes and they experience or give themselves to the worship of ancient ancestors. But they're still in the tombs. Those places, they're not a place of life. And so one tomb that we go to is the tomb of dead, false religion. But there's another tomb that that maybe is perhaps a little bit more engaging and maybe a a tomb that's a little bit more apparent to us today in this kind of setting. It's the tomb of legalistic works, of religious legalistic works. It's the place where we think that we can try and experience God or earn God's favor by our own performances, our own good works, our own actions. We believe that in some way by obeying the rules, by by following the law of God perfectly, by doing what we think is good, that God will accept us, that, that he will owe us because we have performed admirably. We measure ourselves by the virtues that we keep And by the vices that we stay away from, we somehow believe that by by not drinking and not dancing and not dating those who do, as it were, we'll be accepted by God. And so we, we list out the things that we do do well and the things that we don't do that are bad, and we become puffed up with pride when we succeed. Somehow we think our religious acts of our dry prayers, our acts of charitable giving, our fasting, and other dry work somehow will bring us to God. Somehow our legal performance will have him be pleased with us. And it's a tomb. It's a place of the dead because we are focusing on ourselves. We're focusing on what we're doing. When we're doing well, we're filled with pride. We look down on others. I'm, I'm so glad I'm not like them, but that I'm really a, a righteous and good person. And when we don't do well, when we don't check the boxes, we despair. And we, we believe that our performance is what gets God's attention. And so we're, we're distraught because we think God can't love us. He won't love us. And so we're always trying to climb a ladder, always trying to get his approval. And our religious works, our good deeds, as it were, become a tomb which we worship. Let me just tell you this this morning. You won't be accepted by God because of how you obeyed or disobeyed the law. The the reality is that none of us, because of our sinful nature, are capable of obeying perfectly. Not a one of us can earn God's pleasure by our good religious deeds. Our legalism is a tomb of dead works. In fact, the scriptures say that we know that a person is not justified, not declared righteous by God by works of the law. So whether it's the dead religion of, or the tomb of dead religion or the tomb of legalistic works, these are not places that we can find God. And the women discovered that as they came to the tomb and they found not a dead man in the tomb, but they found a living savior who was alive. Matthew tells us of that spectacular moment. He says, behold, verse 2, and Matthew loves the dramatic here. Behold, look, there was a great earthquake, 
The angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. There, heaven came down. The angel came and rolled away the stone. The earth shook and his his radiant glory was shown out. These guards, these, these men entrusted to protect the tomb were so terrified, so overcome by the power and the glory that, that they fell down like dead men. They couldn't say a thing. They were, their mouths were closed in awe. And the angel speaks. The angel speaks to these women, not to terrify them, not to run them off, but to comfort them and encourage them. And the angel says, don't be afraid. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. You seek the one who is dead, but he is not here. He has been raised. As he said, Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. He's been raised to life again as he, as he prophesied and proclaimed. And so the angel invites him in. Come see where they lay him. Look and see. This is where his body was laid. They walk in and they observe. They see it's not just a blind faith, but it's a real, tangible reality. He's not here anymore. He's not in the tomb. He's alive. And the angel sends them. He says, then, go quickly. Tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. So the angel gives him a message. Go, tell his brothers, tell the disciples, go to Galilee. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive. The women, in in seeing that the tomb was empty and realizing that the body of Jesus was not there, they were were overcome. It says in verse eight, they departed quickly from the tomb. They couldn't stay there one more minute. They left the tomb with fear, awe, wonder what had happened, and great joy. Could it be? Could it be the one that they went to worship, the dead man that they went to venerate one more time, was no longer dead, but that he was alive, as the angel said? So they ran to tell the disciples. But on that running, on that that path to tell the disciples, Matthew again gets us in the midst of it. He says, behold, look, look, here's Jesus. Jesus himself, the living Savior, met them. And he said to them, greetings, He revealed to them himself his his resurrection, glory, and body. And they came and they didn't worship a dead man in a tomb, but they worshiped a living Savior. They came and took hold of his feet and bowed down and worshiped him. Jesus is alive. They realized that God wasn't found in a grave. He wasn't found in a tomb. He is the life. They worshiped him. And here's the point I want to make to us this morning. The dead tombs of religiosity and legalism, they won't get you to God. They may make you smug. They may make you feel good about yourself or superior to others. But those tombs are filled with death. Jesus is not in them. The false and dead religions of this world that proclaim that your religious works, your attempts to climb the ladder to God, they're wrong. They're a way of death. They're a cemetery for your soul. Jesus is the life. There's a lot of people that boast that they are Christians, they're they're close with God, but they boast about what they do, not about Jesus. They boast in a religion without Jesus. It's all about what they do or do not do, and not about the Savior who is their life. 
Let me ask you, are you looking for God among the tombs this morning? Dead religion, legalism. Jesus isn't there among them. He is alive, and he is to be worshiped as the life. Are you looking for God in the wrong place? Well, Matthew quickly moves the story from the tomb, where Jesus was not, but he was alive, to another place, another, another venue where we look for God in all the wrong places. He takes us in verse 11 from the tomb to another context. He says, while they were going, while these women were going, behold, again, look, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Matthew moves us from the tomb now to the city, and he, and he shifts the focus from the women and Jesus to this guard, this Roman guard that had been entrusted to watch the tomb, to protect the tomb, and to make sure nothing had been disturbed in the tomb. And yet, the tomb had been disturbed. These men were in trouble. They were in awe, and they, they're trying to put together in their minds the sense of what had happened. How do they explain what is unexplainable? How do, they, how do they articulate what they can't even speak of, what they didn't expect, what doesn't make sense? And so the guards go into the city. When heaven breaks in and turns the tomb upside down, you've got to explain it somehow. You've got to articulate it. And so the guards go into the city. They go into the city to find an explanation for what they cannot explain. You see, the city is an environment where people want answers to the world around them. They want to try and be able to understand, to identify, to explain what doesn't make sense, to try to fit into a narrative or to a neat package what's going on in the world around us. Cities are a place of power, a place of wealth, a place of culture and influence. When we go to the cities to find God, we're looking for explanations and interpretations. We're trying to make sense of how all this world and, and what's going on in it. And that's where the guards go. But what did they find? Well, as the guards went to this, this place of power and affluence, this place of fame, they come to the chief priests and the elders. And they, they gather everyone, the elders and the council come together. And what do the elders do? They, they pour out a, a sum of money. They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. That is to say, they paid them off. They bribed them, and they spun a story. They said, when people ask you, here's what you're going to tell them. Here's the spin on this event that you cannot explain. Tell his people, or tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, friends, I've just got to be honest with you. That's the dumbest excuse in the book, and here's why. This is not some kind of weak little, you know, Z-team army that just got out of basic training and doesn't know what to do with a sword or a spear. These guards were the elite guard. They were the ones that were the highest trained in the Roman army. There was a multitude of them. These were the Green Berets, the Navy SEALs. They were not going to be taken down by some puny, cowardly, fearful disciples who were trying to scuttle away the body of a dead man. The excuse is ridiculous, and yet that's the bribe that they're given. That's the lie that they're told to tell. Oh, we were overpowered. His disciples came while we were sleeping. Nobody was keeping watch, and they stole his body away. How dumb is that? And what that points out is that the lies of the world are really ridiculous. They're just dumb, 
And yet we buy them all the time. We believe the lies of the city about our lives. Religious leadership using their wealth and power and influence concocted a story that's been perpetuated to this day. That's even what Matthew says here. They took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews, among the world to this very day. Oh yeah, Jesus' body just stolen. Twelve guys just kind of wimpy came in and overpowered that guard and took his body out. Rolled that stone away. It's ridiculous. And that's what the city does. It offers us interpretations and explanations of the universe that aren't lies. It tries to get us to buy into conspiracy theories to try and help you make sense of what you can't explain or what you don't like. The city uses power and wealth and influence to perpetuate lies about what is right and good and true. And these, these lies are the very lies that you and I buy thinking that we'll experience the divine. It's where we look for God. The city tells us that by having power, that's what will make us important. By having power, we will be the king of the hill. And so we chase power to our doom. Or the city lies to us and says, Use, get influence, become famous, be an influencer, be known for how great you are. Look at yourself. And so we think that by becoming famous or an influencer or wielding that kind of fame, that, that we'll experience God as ourselves. Or the city tells us the lie that wealth is the key to abundant living. If you have the money, you have the good life. And so we spend our lives chasing wealth and affluence only to realize that it will never satisfy us. It will never make us happy. We won't find the answers to life and what makes life truly good in the things of the city. We won't find those answers in the city. All we'll find in the city is lies. That's what the guard found. That's what they were told. And the reality is, Jesus is the truth. If we, if we go to him, we won't find the lies of the city. We'll find the truth. He came and lived the life that we couldn't live. And he tells us the truth. He tells us that we are sinners, that we've rebelled against and believed lies about ourselves and about God. And so we've cast off the rightful place that God has over our lives. We've chosen our own way and we've offended his glory and holiness and the penalty, Jesus tells us the truth. He tells us the truth that the penalty for our sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death in hell. Jesus tells us the truth. And he tells us the truth that he came and stood as a sacrifice in our place for our sins. He tells us the truth by the fact that he went to the cross to die for us and proclaimed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus proclaims the truth to us again when he said he would rise again on the third day so that all who believe and trust in him will have life. Good, Jesus tells us the truth that the good news, the good news of him, the truth, is available to everyone who believes. Jesus is the life. He is the truth. So we must believe him and not the lies of this world we must believe him and not the lies of the city about how we find God or how we ascend our way to God. The things of this world, the city, will not be able to give you real definition and meaning and experience in life. 
It offers you wealth and power and influence and fame, and they're all death. Are you looking for God in the city, in the culture and the systems of this world that spin lies, create conspiracy, that bribe us off away from the truth? Jesus is the truth. That's where we must find him. We can't find God in the tombs. We can't find God in the city. Maybe there's one more place we can look. Matthew takes us to one final place here at the end of this passage. He takes us to the mountains. I love the mountains. The mountains are a special place to me. I was born in Denver, Colorado, and I spent the first eight years of my life looking out my bedroom window on the Rocky Mountains right outside our home. I love to hike and climb in the mountains. The taller, the better. The mountains are, are incredible experiences and incredible places. Most of the world's religions link up or give some sort of significance to the importance of mountains, whether it's Mount Sinai or Mount Olympus or, or Mount Meru in Eastern religions. The mountains are where heaven and earth converge to touch. And we might think, well, here it is. This is the place we'll find God. We'll find enlightenment on the high points of life. We'll go to the mountains and we'll find the guru or the rabbi or the wise sage who will give us the insight or, or perhaps the mystical experience that we need to, to know and to grasp the divine. Perhaps the, the mountains are where the sacred moments are, which we long for with God. And so we like to, to choose our own adventure here. We, we look at the mountains of the world and we think of, of many different religions, many different ways, many different religious experiences. And we go, I can choose my own adventure. I mean, don't all mountains lead to God? Just pick the one that you like. And so we like our menus. We like our options laid out for us. And we want the one that we prefer, the one that's easiest for us. And so we believe that we can try out a handful of roads. It really comes down to the fact that we, in searching for God in the mountains, we want to dictate our own fate. And we want to have a little religious experience in hand as well. But that's not what we find on the mountain that Jesus stands on. Verse 16, Matthew says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Aha, here it is, the mountain, there he is. But they don't find what we might expect. You have to wonder what they thought they would see or experience on that mountain. Were they going to find a rabbi who was going to be a guru to them and give them some sort of mystical experience? Were they going to find a philosopher who was going to impart to them a steady stream of wisdom and knowledge? It's not what they found on the mountain at all. On that mountain, they found the king, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, Jesus showed up on that mountain as the king of heaven and earth. Jesus said to them, he declares to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That doesn't fit real well in a fortune cookie. He proclaims, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so he calls to us and he says, how will you relate to me? How will you experience me? Because he is the one who is the king. He is the Lord of lords, the king of kings. And he on that mountain declared his victory and his authority. He bows the knee to no one. 
He doesn't offer pithy sayings or wise riddles. He doesn't speak out inspirational quotes or chicken soup for the conservative American soul or whatever flavor you prefer. Jesus stands on the mountain as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he commands us. He commands us. He commands us to repent of our sin and to believe him, to believe the good news. Jesus stands on the mountain, and he commands us to go as his disciples, to go and make disciples, bringing all nations to him. Go, therefore. This isn't just philosophy. It's not just ideology. It's the command of the king. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, immersing them in the identity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. The king declares, he and his authority and his sovereign kingship rules and reigns. He stands on the mountain, bringing heaven and earth together in himself and promising his presence with us forever. He says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Is that what you were expecting on the mountain? I find it interesting that Matthew records the response of the disciples that came to those mountains in Galilee. Verse 17 there, Matthew says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. It's interesting that Matthew would put that in there. He shows us the the two roads that converge, the the two paths that, that we all take when we encounter Jesus the King. He lays it out for us as, as if it was a fork in the road. Which path would you take? Will you see Jesus as the king? Will you see him, the one with all authority in heaven and earth, who says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you see Jesus as the king who says, All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Come follow me. Take up your cross daily. Die to yourself and follow me, and I will give you life. Do you see Jesus, the king, who says, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine? And you're moved to worship him, to submit your life to him, to say, Jesus, you are the king. I will release my throne. I will give my whole heart, my whole submission to you. Have you seen his greatness and glory and turned from your sins, turned in full devotion to Christ, the king? And worship him. Or will you take the other road, the other path? Will you doubt? Is this Jesus on the mountain who is the king, not the one you were expecting? Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know what? I wanted advice. I, I wanted some mystical experience. I, I, wanted, I, I wanted something out of the body, but not. I, I don't want a king. I, I don't want a king to rule and reign over my life. I, I think I'll do it fine myself. Perhaps you look at Jesus and you doubt and you say, here's this, this crucified, yep, maybe resurrected king in your mind, in your heart, you think that way, and, and you wonder, you doubt, does he have my best interest at heart? Can I, can I give my life over to him and he lead me well? You see, Jesus stands on the, road, on the mountain and declares, there's not many roads, there's not many paths that lead to God. Actually, there's just one. It's the king's road. It's the king's way. 
Because Jesus the King is the way. Jesus himself has said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to God isn't through the tombs, it's not in the city, it's not even up on the mountains of experience. The only way to God is through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And so do you come to him today doubting, or do you come to him today worshiping? Are you looking for God in all the wrong places, among the tombs, in the city, the things of this world, or on the mountains of experience and enlightenment? Friends, Jesus alone is the way to God. He is the presence of God with us. Matthew begins this gospel telling us about Jesus by telling us about his name, Jesus, the one who saves sinners. Emmanuel, God with us. And Matthew concludes this story of Jesus by demonstrating Jesus' authority and Jesus' words and Jesus saying, Behold, I, God, am with you to the end of the age. God's not in the tombs. He's not in the cities. He's not on the mountains. He is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Are you worshiping him with all of your life? Or are you doubting, ready to walk away and not see him as the king that he is? I want to pray for you this morning that you would see and follow King Jesus, that you would turn from your sin, and that you would believe and trust in him alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus for us, the king of all kings, the one who stands authority and glory, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Thank you that he is alive. I pray this morning that we would come to Jesus and him alone, that we would give up looking for you or looking for this, this better life in the, in the false and dead places of this world, but that we would go to Jesus himself, that we would give up the dead, deceiving, delusional places of this world and that we would come to Jesus and worship him. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. So may we come and worship to you today. May we repent of our sins and believe your good news and find life forever. Amen.